Hey, moms, happy Mother's Day. And in case you haven't catched it yet, uh, to all the rest of you, Mother's Day is a pretty important day. And I think every mother at this day at least expects some kind of heightened uh, announcement of love or honor or a bit of respect. Uh, Even the most disinterested, even the most laid back, even the most understanding mom knows that this day is a day that you can at least excel your love for her. If you stop to think about it, you can understand why. I mean, a mom oftentimes puts her interests aside for the sake of the family. I've heard it said that a mother is the kind of person who sees that there are four pieces of pie for five people, and then she promptly announces she never did care for pie in the first place. That happens all the time at our dinner table with my, my wife and our kids. She runs the practices. Moms take care of the events at school and make sure that the house is in order and More than likely, she does the majority of the laundry, she does the majority of the house cleaning, she does the majority of the cooking and preparing of meals. Someone said this morning, it's not easy being a mom. If it was, God would have had fathers do it. (laughs) If your household is anything like mine, it's mom who keeps up with the school assignments, it's mom who keeps track of all the, the due dates, it's mom who keeps track of the field trips and She's the teacher conferences, she's the motivator, she is the coach, she is the manager, she's the encourager, she's our banker, she's everything. If if life did not come with an instruction manual, so I think God gave us mothers, that's why. And moms are constantly needed and constantly wanted. They're always on call. Someone had said, I heard that the quickest way for a mother to get children's attention, their children's attention, is just to sit down and look comfortable. It seems like when my, mom, my wife just lays down on the couch just for a moment, just to take a break, it's always, Mom, I need this, I need this, and she has to get right up. They never come and ask for Dad. I don't know why that is. They deserve at least a day of honor, a day of recognition. You know, the Bible tells it like this. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. And that doesn't matter what level you give your mother or priority you give your mom. It doesn't matter if your mom was good or bad. The Bible just gives us this command. Honor them. Find some way to honor your father and find some way to honor your mother. That means to put value on them, to respect them. And a day like today just really heightens our awareness of that. And that commandment was set in place for you to honor it from the moment your little kids all the way up until the day that you die. And I'm sure that you can recall some times in your life where you did not honor your father or where you especially didn't honor your mother. At times maybe where you let her down, times where you wounded heart, times when maybe you crushed her spirit. When I was an adolescent, I can remember the time when my mom had asked me to clean the shower. I, I never had done that to that point. My mom had always done that. And for whatever reason, she was asking for some help that I would just lend a hand. And I looked right at her in my stupidity and immaturity. I said, why don't you go do it yourself? I don't remember what happened next. Um, <laughs> I remember picking myself up off the floor. Now, some of you have met my mother. She's 5'3", but she has a left hook like Sugar Ray Robinson. She's pound for pound, one of the best fighters out there. And that day, I cleaned the shower. And then I went on to clean the sinks, clean the toilet, and mop the floor. Fear got me into that bathroom. Love motivated me to stay. And, you know, I think uh, what we learn in Jonah is that very same truth. Oftentimes, fear gets us to God, but love is the thing that motivates us to stay with God. 
In our Old Testament book of Jonah that we've been learning from, we've learned already that God has better plans for us than we have for ourselves. Like if we, would just, if we would just submit to God initially and just go with his plan, go with his guidance, our life would be incredibly beautiful. His plans are better than our plans. We've already learned too that God has a passionate pursuit for our lives. And if you're running from God, he's eventually going to catch you to give you a second chance so that you can taste his grace and his mercy. Some of you think though that God is a God of punishment. And so you're running from God believing that he's going to punish you like Jonah did. And then he found that God only swallowed him up so that he would understand the grace of God. Today, we're learning that we sometimes run to God out of fear. We just want to be saved from a dangerous place called hell. But then we find that our motivation to stay with God is out of love. What I've discovered is that fear can be very healthy. Have you found that out to be true? You ever walk to the edge of a cliff and you're Your heart begins to beat a little faster. Your palms get a little nervous because you've recognized as you've looked down that one misstep could be the end of you. And there's a healthy bit of fear there that says, be cautious, you idiot. Get away from the cliff. You are a bumbling fool. So step back. If you've ever been on 69 and you've gone over the speed limit, I mean like way over the speed limit, your hands should be white knuckled to the wheel. And your passenger should have their feet pressed against the floorboard and hold on to that handle with a death grip because you've recognized that you are one little miscalculation of the steering wheel away from death or injury. And there is that, that fragileness that goes along with realizing I'm pretty close to the edge here. I'm one misstep away from death. And there is There is that fear that is coupled with those moments that is very healthy for us that says, have some caution, step back, slow down. And Jonah in the belly of that fish, which by the way is not a fish story, it's not just some kind of whale tale. Jesus himself believed in the story of Jonah. As a matter of fact, he accepted it as quite literal. God swallowed him whole. And Jonah recognized in the belly of that fish that God was powerful. Man, it frightened him. It scared him to be obedient. He he cleaned the shower. And if you've ever had that near-death kind of experience, you recognize that life is fragile. And here's what happens to you. You take every moment seriously because of that, that kind of healthy fear. So what happens? Your hugs come a little longer. Your I love you's become more intentional and meaningful, and the purpose of your life seems to have better direction. Look at with me at Jonah chapter 3, would you? And look at verse 1 and through, through 3 together. Jonah chapter 3, it's on page 754 in the Bible. It's in the chair rack in front of you. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that a great line of grace right there? Jonah, I'm going to give you another chance. You didn't get it right the first time. Maybe you can get it right the second time. And don't you love that God is able to be a God of second chances? And what I found in my life, <laughs> I, haven't, I don't know where I'm at on the chance list, but I just know it's, I just, there's too many to mention. God just keeps on dishing out his grace. And God came to Jonah a second time. Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh is the name of the city and proclaim to it the message I give you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the the word of the Lord. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go. It took three days to go through it. And so God says to Jonah, 
get up, and I'm going to give you another try. And Jonah says, okay, God, I'll get up and go. Just no more left hooks, okay? Actually, the scripture doesn't tell us that Jonah says anything at all. He, he just goes, like, kind of like, uh, I know I've done wrong. I, I know I've made you angry, God, and I will not say any more in fear that I might say the wrong thing. And he gets up and he goes to Nineveh. You see, when we confess, when we confess our sins, what we call talking to God, when we confess our sins and talk to God, and then we repent, that's when we turn to God and walk with God. The next response should be obedience to God's guidance. So when we talk to God and turn and walk with God, the next step is being obedient to God's guidance. And you know the real test of Jonah's faith here is not what he did in the belly of that fish about saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I recognize your power. God, I'm in fear of your incredible glory and authority. Now, the real test to Jonah's faith here was when the fish spit him out, was he going to do what he committed in his heart that he said he was going to do? Are you catching this? He said, God, I will do what you want me to do in chapter 2. And the fish spits him out. And the real test of faith is, does he live up to the commitment that he said he would? You know what I found is that many of us in this room, we are filled with all sorts of great intentions. We have all sorts of great plans about what we're going to do spiritually. And how we're going to commit to the Lord. And we come in a room like this and and every now and then a sermon just, just strikes us to the core. It just hits us right where we're at. And, and you say something like, well, Pastor, you stepped on my feet today, or you really pierced my heart. And, and then you made some commitments in your heart to be a different kind of guy, a different kind of, different kind of woman. But the true test of faith is not what you believe. The true test of faith is the commitment that you made Sunday. Are you going to live it out on Monday? Are you going to follow through with your belief? Will there be an action step? You see, for Jonah, there was an action step. He, he made a commitment in the fish, and then when spit out, he reluctantly went, but he was obedient to God. And Jonah, you know, his, his walk wasn't very, wasn't one of these like real quick journeys. It wasn't short. It wasn't, you know, we oftentimes think he, he got spit out on the shores of Nineveh. But there, <laughs> if you look at a map, there are no shores of Nineveh. The closest shore to Nineveh is 450 miles away. And it says that he walked to Nineveh. For, that's, that's about 40 days journey through the northern desert of Syria, through the northern desert of Iraq, to what we know today as the city of Mosul. That's where Nineveh sat, is the city of Mosul. <laughs> and so he just got spit out of a well. He smelled like fish guts. You know, that's just a pleasant smell, isn't it, first of? And he now had to walk 40 days through the blazing heat of the of the Middle Eastern desert, so he's filled with sweat and body odor. Now, there are some that have studied Jonah more in depth than I have, and they say, look, if Jonah were really in the bile or the belly of the fish, he would have come out not with the normal skin tone of a man. He would have come out bleach white, and his hair would have been bleached white. So just imagine the freak show walking through Nineveh that day, smelling like rotten fish, smelling like body odor, looking like a ghost. Everything about his presence, everything about his scent drew attention to him. God had that preacher right where he needed him, in a spotlight of stench, in a spotlight, uh, in a spotlight of, of 
of bleached out skin and hair, perhaps. And here is his sermon that he preached. Are you ready for it? Jonah chapter 3, verse 4 says, Then Jonah began going a day's journey into the city and proclaimed 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Eight words. Eight word sermon. 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. My sermon is about 4,200 words in length, if you're lucky. 6,000 if you really want to get your money's worth, right? And I'm sure that Jonah wasn't the most passionate presenter of the message. He didn't want to be there. He just obeyed God out of fear, because sometimes fear gets you there, and love keeps you there. We don't know what happened to Jonah later. We're going to find out. Fear gets you there, but love keeps you there. 40 more days. Can you just imagine how he preached? He probably sounded a lot like uh, the stuffed donkey Eeyore from the books Winnie the Pooh. You know, that 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Come on, my kids loved that one when they were kids. <laughs> now, Nineveh is this huge city, so it's like the population of Evansville. It's about 120,000 people, and it took three days' walk to get through it. And he's middle of the way through it when he starts preaching this message. And he's not really preaching it with passion, but, but the people are cut to the heart. The people are cut to the heart because of the message, not because of the messenger. Catch that. Hey, in two weeks, catch that. Catch that in two weeks. I'm not going to be with you for three months. I'm coming back. If God wants me to come back and doesn't kill me off somewhere over where we're going, I'm coming back. Like it or not, I'm coming back. But catch this. It wasn't about the messenger. It was about the message that God had brought to that messenger. And even though he kind of pathetically preached, they are cut to the heart. And these are callous people. These are proud people. They are known throughout the world at that time as being proud, rebellious, and merciless towards their enemies. They wouldn't spare their enemies. And God, God had that message out there, and they, they turned. Why? Because they would rather turn. Now catch this. They would rather turn than burn. And they confessed their sins to God. And they gave themselves over to the Lord. And they immediately started talking with God and started walking with God. Friends, here's what I'm getting at. Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Some people you know right now in your family or in your, your circle of influence at work or in your friendships, you're, you're just wondering, will, will they ever give themselves over to the Lord because their lifestyle doesn't look like it? Their heart just never seems to really allow it. Did you know that hard-hearted people can soften to the message of the Lord? Are you aware of that? Don't give up. And there are people that can, that can talk hard, and there are people that can look hard, but let me tell you, you're not hardcore until you live hardcore. Let me tell you, there's a guy by the name of Alice Cooper, and his antics on and off the stage, you know this guy, some of you grew up with this guy, this is, some of this guy wrote the theme song to your life when you were in high school, right? In the 1970s and the 1980s, preachers would get in the pulpit, and they would warn against sending your kid to this guy's concert because his music was straight from the pits of hell, and your kids would come back possessed if they went to the concert. But you know, God has a way of punching through the proudness, through the callousness of the hearts of people so that unsaved people will be saved. And you know, after struggling with alcohol abuse and drug abuse, the most of his adult life, Alice Cooper and his wife surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, and he is a Christian man. He's written books about his faith. Here's what he says. Drinking beer is easy. Trashing your room is easy. Being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's rebellion. This past week, I was... Uh, 
confronted by a guy on the phone that had called me to complain about one of you. Look, I take notes of those kind of phone calls because usually they're complaining about me. And so when they're complaining about you, I'm thinking, this is a good day. And so I'm going to write down some notes here. One of you must have invited this fella to come to church with you today on Mother's Day. And uh, it flipped a switch in the break room at church. As much as I could gather, he was very angry. It wasn't about what you said. It's just about your invitation to be a part of a church. And uh, he said, inviting people to church should be illegal. And we had this rather long conversation, and then I got into him about it, and I tried to see that we weren't that much different, to be honest. And so I asked him some questions, questions like this, like, um, do you believe in loving your neighbor? Yeah. Do you believe in being with others in community? Yeah. Do you believe in helping people out, even people you don't know? Yeah. Do you believe in listening to other people's opinions and beliefs? Only if they're true. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in that God stuff. Then I wanted to say, you know what? We really don't have that much indifference. We have more in common. You see, we believe in loving your neighbor. We believe in helping others out. We believe, and we believe, and we believe. The only difference is our motive. only difference is our motive. I don't know what your motive is. But our motive is Christ. He compels us to love our neighbor. Our motive for truth is God. Now, I know he's not here today. I know he's not here today. Because he hung up the phone, and and before he did, he said something to the effect of, we don't have anything in common. I don't believe in God. And smashed the phone down. And I started praying, and I said, you know, first I wasn't as spiritual, but I'm going to announce to you that I was very spiritual. And so I started to pray after I first did some other things. I won't tell you what those were. And, and, I, and God just kind of pressed it upon my heart that this guy's like one step away from giving himself over to the Lord. And I thought that phone call was not an angry phone call with you all. That phone call was an angry phone call about God, about what God was doing in his life. Some of you have had moments like that. You're just angry with God because he's now working on your life. And friends, here's what I'm I'm telling you, even the most callous of individual, the one who says, I don't believe in God, God can penetrate his Holy Spirit into their life and change their life forever. That's what he did with the Ninevites. That's what he's going to do with some of your family. You don't give up on them. Those cold-hearted men and women of Nineveh, they talked to God, they turned to God over an eight-word sermon. And I think their biggest motivation was fear. Just, I don't want to burn. We better turn. I just, I don't want the end of my existence to be right now like this. 40 more days and this is all over. This healthy fear of God is a man of his word and we know at least that. You've got 40 more days, otherwise you'll be annihilated like Sodom and Gomorrah before you. It'll just be the end of you. Hell, fire, brimstone. And they're thinking, we don't want that for our family. I don't want that for my life. God, what do we do? And they recognize God's real. God's really powerful. And he really means what he says. Look at Jonah chapter 3 verse 5 with me. It says, the Ninevites believed God. Isn't that great? The Ninevites believed God. 
It's, it's, there's going to be destruction for you in 40 days. And they're like, we, we believe this. You know, like when Jesus says that, that there's a place that he's preparing for those who believe, it's called heaven. But then he goes on to say that there's also a place for those who don't believe, and it's a dangerous place called hell. And then the Ninevites say, we believe that it's a turn or burn moment for us. And when Jonah, Jonah's warning reached the king, let's go back to verse 5 rather. The, the Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Do you know what line I love is in verse 5? From the greatest to the least. It didn't matter what the person's position was. It didn't matter what their financial status might have been. From the king all the way down to the lowest commoner, they all recognized that they have failed God. And and when the people of Nineveh turned, they took their belief. I believe in God. Verse 5, I believe. And they turned it into an action step. They did something to show their belief in what was being said. Strange way of showing belief, right? They fasted. They gave up food. That's a way to say, God, you are way more important than anything else in my life. You are more important than the basic needs to sustain my life. And they put on sackcloth. I don't know if you've ever felt sackcloth. It's kind of like an unrefined burlap. It's scratchier, itchier, more stiff. It would be an irritant as they put it on. So they'd strip off their clothes and put on these these clothes of sackcloth. And they would be totally uncomfortable in these things. And they wouldn't be able to sleep. It would keep them up. And they would scratch and they would itch. It would be a constant reminder with every scratch and itch about the commitment that they made in their heart to the Lord. That they believe these things and now they're acting it out and now they're showing God that they're, they're humble, that they want to come to God humbly. You know what I found out? That when anybody takes a step towards, towards Christ, just a step towards Christ, it's uncomfortable. It's itchy. It's scratchy. I mean, being confronted with your sin is, is not like the most pleasant of journeys for people. To recognize that you're going to have to drop your pride and become humble, humble enough to be baptized into Christ. That's, that's itchy, scratchy stuff. It makes us uncomfortable. But every one of those steps that we take in coming to Jesus is just a reminder like that sackcloth that, that the sin-filled life that we're wearing, we were never meant to be clothed with. That we, we were meant to be clothed with Jesus Christ. Like Galatians says. Listen to how it says it. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And you'll never be comfortable in life. You'll never be comfortable in life until you first clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. And when the king of Nineveh turned to God, he repented of his sins. And and here's what he did. He rose from his throne. He took off his robe and he sat in the dust. Just another way to say, I believe the message, and now I'm going to take an action step to live out this message. And what did he do? He decided, "I'm I'm (laughs) I'm not worthy of being the king because I've just been confronted by the king of kings. And I'm going to take off anything that distinguishes me as special because I am in front of the, the, the most high special. I'm just going to sit in the dust where I belong because I deserve punishment, not grace. You know, when Christ calls us 
to believe and to act out our belief. You know what one of the first action steps is? Mark 16, 16, Jesus Christ himself puts it like this. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. He says that first action step is to take yourself off the throne, to lay aside your royal robes, your prestige, and just to kill yourself off and be immersed into Christ, be clothed with him, and take a step of obedience with God. You know what? Some of you need to do that today. You just need to get yourself off the throne, take off the prestige that you wear, and just say, God, you're all that I need. You're more important than food, and I am not comfortable. I'm not comfortable in my own skin. I need you. So the king of Nineveh, he humbles himself, the whole city humbles himself, and he has this announcement that's made. Here it is, the announcement's found in verse 7 of chapter 3, and he says, this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his, and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. So they're all supposed to fast as well. Do not let them eat or drink, verse 8, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and have it with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? Let's just try this. You know, let's recognize here that, that the Ninevites, they are seeing themselves as sinners in the hands of an angry God. And they're frightened that in 40 days, if they don't get their acts straightened up, it's going to be the end of Ninevites. It's literally turn or burn here. And the healthy fear is God is real, God is powerful, and God is real in his message. I know it sounds so old school, doesn't it? Turn or burn. Hellfire and brimstone. That if we don't get our act right here on earth, that destruction awaits us in hell. But that's the message. And they're frightened by it, and fear led them to the, to the Lord, but love kept them there. And they get extreme. They get extreme by saying, God, we are, we are sorry. Did you notice that they're putting sackcloth on their animals? Like they're, they're making sweaters of sackcloth for their animals. I thought only my crazy aunt covered her animals with sweaters. But these guys are like, no, if it means, if it means forgiveness, this is what we're going to do here, which made me wonder this last week why I was studying this. Do you think someone opened up a sackcloth sweater store for the 40 days and just made a killing off of it? But you know how people take advantage of a crisis? They're like, look, sackcloth sweater's right here. You don't even need to make your own. And that merchant's probably thinking, we just need another revival here. I can make another few million off of this thing here. And I love the proclamation, right? Stop eating, stop drinking, cover yourselves and your animals, call it to God, stop your wicked lifestyle, and catch it. Catch it, was the king say? I don't know. Maybe it'll work. Not real sure here. Possibly. It might win God over. I don't know. Let's just do everything we possibly can to show that we are truly humble, and let's just, let's just really express our heart here the best way we know how. And that phrase, that phrase, who knows, you know what it really tells us? It tells us that the Ninevites had no clue about grace. No clue about grace. They only knew punishment. Why? Because that was their culture. Their culture was to be tyrants to their enemies, to be merciless to their enemies, show no grace, show no mercy, and now they're being handed grace. Now they're being handed mercy, and they don't know how to accept it. They have no clue on how to accept it. It's so undeserving to them because they recognize we deserve punishment. We deserve destruction. We are evil. We've been confronted by our sins. 
Friends, let me tell you something. When grace is extended, it is tough to accept sometimes. I think there's a handful of you. There's more than a handful. There's a majority of us probably that don't understand true grace. And we wonder, is it real? Or are we going to be condemned someday, even though we've given our life over to Jesus? Some of you know the author, Randy Alcorn. He tells the story the first time he traveled down to the deep south of our nation. And he and a friend stopped at a restaurant and their meals were delivered. And he noticed this bowl of white, mushy looking stuff next to the rest of his plates. When the waitress came by, he said to her, ma'am, what is this? She says, it's grits. He said, I didn't pay for grits. I don't want grits. I'm not paying for this. She said, sir, settle down. You didn't order it and you don't have to pay for it. Here in the South, you just get it. Grits. Here's what the Bible says. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. You didn't order it. You didn't pay for it. You just get it. And the Ninevites, they couldn't understand the just get it part. And so they walked cautiously to God. And they did. They did. They accepted God. And there was genuine conversion here. I want you to see that they didn't appease God. There was genuine conversion. Their heart changed and their lifestyle reflected that change. Jonah chapter 3, look at verse 10. Here's what happens. God himself says, when God saw that they did what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. It, it was genuine repentance. You can always tell, you know, you can always tell if someone has really given themselves over to the Lord by the way that they act after they are baptized or confess Christ as their Lord. You can always tell if it was genuine or not by the way that they act later. They can give you all sorts of belief statements. But really, it comes down to actions. Because true repentance is not just baptism. It's not just confession. True repentance is, how am I going to walk away from all of this? Am I going to leave my old life behind and truly follow after God? Or am I going to stay the same character I was before I said I died in the baptism? You know, our actions tell the tale of authentic life or not authentic heart for God. You know what Jesus did when he warned the disciples about false teachers coming into their mix and false Christians? He told them to be on the lookout and say, they're going to be all around you. And you know, his disciples probably had this question like, well, how can we tell if they are false Christians? How can we tell if they're false teachers? And Jesus said, by their fruits, by their fruits, you will know them. You know what he's saying? By their actions, you'll be able to tell. Oh, they'll talk good. They'll say the right things, but by their actions... Is how you'll tell if there's been genuine conversion, genuine faith. You know, the Bible teaches, God's word teaches it like this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? What does it say? Is dead. And we say it like this oftentimes here, is faith without deeds is dead. You see, you can say all day long, you have a belief, you believe in God, but genuine repentance Genuine faith says, I'm going to act out that belief. And what does that look like? Well, for the Ninevites, fear got them there, but love kept them there. They changed their evil lifestyle, and they did not go back to it. Why? Fear got them there, but love kept them there. They recognized grace and said, we don't want to ever go back to that lifestyle again. That's why Jesus, when he 
He forgives somebody publicly. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Show that there is genuine, genuine conversion. You know, years ago when the several television evangelists were unfaithful to their wives and there's just like a just like a plague of adultery that was being expressed one one news line to another my wife said to me if you ever do that i'll be a a divorced murderer i said honey listen you you don't have to if, if you kill me you don't need to divorce me she said no i'd kill her and divorce you and your life would be misery You know, sometimes it's love that keeps me faithful to my wife, and sometimes it is fear that keeps me faithful to her. And what I found is true there in that relationship is also true in the relationship I have with the Lord. Sometimes it is fear. Sometimes it's just plain old flat out, God, you are powerful. God, you are real. God, you are a man of your word. And I fall into obedience and say, God, you frighten me. Fear gets me there, but love keeps me there. And not only will I clean the shower, I will go so much further than that, Lord. My heart will compel me to go further with you. And you know, sometimes we downplay this thing. We downplay this idea of why people come to the Lord. And when someone says, I came to Christ because I was a fear, afraid of going to hell, you know what we should all do? We should all celebrate and we should all say, that's a pretty good reason. That's a pretty good reason. Fear gets us there. Love keeps us there. And sometimes, sometimes fear is going to drive you to God. Sometimes fear is going to drive you to God. But may it be our love for him that keeps us there and has us walk faithfully with him.